Um, I was so privileged enough to grow up in a family that went to church, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And I remember when I was about 13 years old, standing there in worship next to my parents, next to my family, and I saw this woman who was just feeling it. And so she ran to grab one of the flags that was dotted around the building, and she picked up this flag, and she was going for it to the point that people were ducking, she ended up like smacking the side of the building and the whole flagpole snapped off. And I remember thinking, what's she gonna do now? Like there's nothing left. And she picked up this tiny little bit of the flagpole and she just kept going. And I looked over and in the middle of aisle, there was the ribbon dancer lady who just loved to do that every worship. And then our pastor was having a moment on the tambourine. My dad was speaking in tongues as he often does. And I remember sitting there as 13 thinking, this is weird, but I knew somehow looking around, I'm like, this is weird, but, but this is real, this is worship. I then had a time, um, a little season out of church and my first experience back in church was in a completely different environment. It was in this very conservative church and that worship experience was so different. It was hymn books, it was a cappella, um, I went to clap my hands on the first song because as uh, in a Pentecostal church, clapping is like, you know, the, the, the least you can do. It's like the least involvement you can have. And so I went to clap and I noticed a few people look at me and I was like, oh, oh, you don't even do that. Um, it was quiet, there was order, yet when I looked around the room, because I was so fascinated, I could see people's faces really connecting with God and what they were singing, and I could see that that was real, that that was worship. And then uh, after Joel and I had got married, I, I felt like we needed something a little bit more vibrant um, as a place to belong to in faith, and so we tried our vineyard church. And as we walked in, hands were raised. There was, um, you know, amazing worship being played. I, I scanned the room. There were no flags. And though it was not that out there for me, what I had grown up with, it was definitely out there for Joel, who had uh, not grown up in a Christian home. And this conservative church was really his only experience of church and worship. And so he had a lot of questions and, and was wondering why everybody was raising their hands and doing these things. But what we could see there and experience, that that also was real, that that was worship. As a pastor, I've had so many people comment about our worship to me. Some say, I just love how joyful and vibrant and how fun our worship songs are now. And others will say, um, I just don't like when everybody jumps about. I don't really like those songs. Um, some will say, I just love when the worship leaders just throw away, you know, the plan and they just start singing free worship and we can just all start singing our own songs of praise. And others say, I really hate when they do that. I feel really uncomfortable. Some say that it's too loud. Others really love it. And I know that some uh, come late because they'd like to miss the worship and just hear the teaching and others would love to just worship the entire time and not hear the teaching. Uh, but what I know about worship is that worship is not supposed to divide us. It is supposed to unite us in spirit and in thankfulness and praise to God. It's not meant to divide us in preference and style and thought. 
And so with the time that I have left, uh, I want to bring a message on worship. Why should we worship? How should we worship? And what happens when we worship? Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that we get to worship you. Lord, I thank you that we get to open your word now and come before you and discover, discover more of who you are and what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and speak through this teaching. Would you shift our hearts in greater adoration towards you? Would we have a greater revelation of worship today? In Jesus' name, amen. So what do I mean by worship? Because the term worship can be used as, it can be applied to all of our Christian life. Uh, because everything we do should be worship to God. It can be applied to all of a church service because everything we do as a church is worship to God. But I'm specifically talking about music, about lyric, about singing, about when our heart is connected with God in praise and worship. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. And so why should we worship? Why should we worship? Because we were created for God's glory. It says in Isaiah 43 verse 7, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. So when we bring glory to God, we are actually engaging in our core purpose. The, the reason we were created is to glorify God. And when we worship him, we glorify him. But it says in Romans 3 verse 23 that for all have sinned, and I know that we are all, we are part of all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we were created to bring glory to God and we also fall short of it. So what does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? It certainly doesn't mean that we are supposed to be as glorious as God. We could never be as glorious of God and as God, and of course we fall short in that way. In the book Desiring God, John Piper says that the best explanation for Romans 3.23, which is for all have sinned and fall, fall short of the glory of God, is Romans 1.23. It says that those who did not glorify or thank God became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images. We exchange it for something of lesser value. And all sin comes from not putting supreme value on the glory of God. This is in its very essence sin. What is he saying? He's saying that none of us have trusted God in the way that we should trust him. He's saying that none of us have felt the depth and the consistency of thankfulness and praise that we should feel towards him, that he is owed that in that way we all fall short of the glory of God. See, I've noticed in my heart that I can sometimes hold others guilty when they don't give me um, appropriate praise or thankfulness for a kindness that I have offered to them. So imagine I come home from a big day of work, I cook, I clean, I organize what needs to be organized, and then someone walks up without acknowledging all the things that I've done. And while I'm cooking dinner, say, what's for dinner? And when I tell them what's for dinner, they just go, oh, dumb, like disappointed. 
And in that moment, I tell you what, I am so guilty of holding them guilty for not expressing um, appropriate thanks towards me and everything that I've done for them. And when we think about just that and God, everything we have comes from God. Our ability to create comes from God. Our ability to connect, our ability to communicate comes from God. Every good thing is from God. And so when we worship God, it, is a, it gives us a chance to put things right by giving him the glory that he deserves to return to him, to return him to his rightful place in our life with him getting our attention, our, our, our gratefulness and our heart. See, if we were to worship every day, we would still not be able to articulate and thank him for everything that he has done for us. We worship him because we were created to bring him glory. We are in the center of our purpose when we are glorifying God and we couldn't do it enough. We, we worship him to bring him glory. And we worship him because he's worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. He is God Almighty. He is ancient of days. He is author and perfecter of our faith. He is our maker. He is our defender. He is our sustainer and our guide. He is our father and our friend. He is faithful and forgiving. He is our freedom giver. He is gracious and glorious. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is holy. He is hope. He is our healer. He is our home. He is, the, he is just he is our judge. He is justifier. He is our joy. He is Jesus. He is the King of kings, the Lamb of God, light, life, and love. He is Messiah, the Most High. He is mighty. He is merciful. He is measureless. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our High Priest. He is our protector and our provider. He is perfect. He is Redeemer, He is Restorer, He is Resurrection, He is Righteous, He is Radiant, He is the Rock upon which I stand. He is our Saviour, He is our Good Shepherd, He is Spirit, He is the Source of all things, He is Steadfast, He is Supreme, He is Sovereign, He is Triumphant, He is Teacher, He is Transformer, He is Undefeated, He is Unhurried, He is Unfailing, He is our Vindicator, He is the Way, the Truth and the Life, He is God and he is worthy of every bit of our heart of every bit of worship we could offer he is worthy of our heart our hands our praise he is worthy and so how should we worship we should worship with thanksgiving that's our how it says in Psalm 100, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is good. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's how we enter with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Thanksgiving is how we worship. 
Psalm 50 verse, 20 says, verse 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving as sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his ways rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So regardless of the song that's being sung, regardless of whether we like it or not, whether it's joyful, whether it's reflective, whatever's going on in our life, whatever we feel, our worship is to be with thankfulness. And I really believe that thankfulness is the birthplace, the beginning place of our worship to God. You know, sometimes I get frustrated on a Sunday, on a Sunday gathering because it can feel like it's not until the third song that I look around and it's like, oh, finally, everybody. It's like the words in the songs have stirred a thankfulness into them and now we're really worshipping. And I get frustrated because by the third song, we're actually not too far from finishing, but we should be just beginning now that we as his sons and daughters are unified in praise and thanksgiving towards him. The reason why we gathered together in the first place you know, it's our responsibility, not the worship team's responsibility to prepare our heart in praise and thanksgiving before we enter worship. It's our responsibility. It's our job to prepare our hearts. And I know many of you do that and that's amazing and it, it changes the atmosphere of the room. And maybe this is challenging to you and, and that's, that's awesome. I, I, I think what an incredible opportunity for spiritual growth and maturity that from now on you would take a moment before you enter a Sunday, Sunday gathering, before you come to Curate Online or have a gathering in your home and that you would take a moment to prepare your own heart in thankfulness towards God. It is not the job of the worship team to prepare our hearts, it's our job. And the worship team said, Amen. We should worship with thanksgiving. And we should worship with conscious adoration. We should worship with conscious adoration. What is that? I love my kids. I love them always. But sometimes when they do something really sweet or I'm just sitting there watching them, you know, laugh or play in their unique way. It's like, I, I just go, oh my gosh, I love them. I love them always, but in that moment, looking at them, I'm conscious of my love and adoration for them. That should be what it's like in worship. I love God always, but when I'm worshiping, when it's a time of worship, I should be conscious of an adoration in my heart towards God. God doesn't want our songs. He wants our hearts drawn to him. He wants our affection. He wants our attention. In Matthew 15 verse 8, Jesus said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's not interested in our songs. He wants our hearts and he wants out of our heart an overflow of a song and praise and thankfulness to come from that place. Now, I don't attend a gathering on a Sunday just once like many of you. I, I attend three, sometimes more, sometimes less on a Sunday. And I don't want in those, all of those worship, all of those times of worship throughout the day, 
I don't want to just be singing. I don't want to just be going through the motions. I want my heart connected. I want to be in thanksgiving and I want to be conscious of adoration in my heart towards God. And sometimes that can be difficult when I've been in there for a while. And sometimes my mind, it deceives me and it drifts away from the very thing that brings me life and I was created to do. And so maybe you're like, hey, I'm the same, like I want to, but my, but, but my mind wanders. Well, I have a few practical things that I do, and maybe this might help you. So what I do is when I've felt myself get distracted or drift, I would take a moment to look around the room. Take a moment to look around at the people who have gathered to worship the King of Kings. And I look at them and I imagine all of us standing in the throne room of God, standing in heaven. And I imagine him before us and that we together are singing our praises to him. And that always, always stirs my heart. Or something else that I do is I think about who I was before Jesus. I think about how far he's taken me and how faithful he has been. I think about how I was lost and now I'm found, how I was blind and now I see, how I thought um, me being valuable had everything to do with external things and now I know that it's only just who I am in Christ and that that is more than enough. And I think about how far he's taken me, how faithful he has been and that stirs my heart too. Or I imagine in detail an interaction that Jesus had that was recorded in the scriptures. I think of how a man with leprosy who had been um, at a distance, who had been rejected by his family, by his community, who had been um, unvalued and untouched for so many years. And I think about how he would timidly approach Jesus and how he would say to him, Jesus, if you're willing, you could make me well. And how Jesus reached out and he touched him with, I imagine, incredible compassion in his eyes. And he says, I'm willing. You are healed. Your faith has made you well. Or I think about the woman who was caught in adultery and how she was thrown at his feet and she was brought to Jesus for judgment. And I think of how he famously said to her accusing crowd, hey, you, he who is without sin, would you cast the first stone? And how one by one they all left and then the only one who was without sin, Jesus, was left standing with her. And, she said, and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they're not here. They've gone. And he said, well, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And it, when I remember that, I, I remember that he's real. <laughs> I'm reminded of his character and that makes me want to praise him. What am I saying? I'm saying do anything you can to have conscious adoration in your heart when you come to God and worship. Don't just go through the motions. We have to take responsibility in that. That's how we should worship. A few how-tos. There's many more, but I only have time for so much. The third thing is what happens when we worship? What happens when we worship? Well, when we worship, we draw near to God and God draws near to us. It says that in James 4 verse 8. And you know, when he draws near to us, he actually ministers to us. In worship, I often find that 
I'm in God's presence. I've drawn near to him and I can, I can feel him drawing near to me. And it's like in that moment, he ministers to me. My, my faith is strengthened. He lifts my hope. He refreshes my spirit. I experience him ministering to me as he draws near to me. The second thing that happens when we worship is we actually join in with heaven. We join in with heaven. Heaven is worshiping God. It says that in Revelation 4 verse 8, that day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So when we worship, we are actually joining in with the choir of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. That's what happens when we worship. And when we worship, our enemies flee. Our enemies flee from us. You can read in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and just read that whole story of where King Jehoshaphat, he sends out the worshippers ahead of the army um, in battle. And it's amazing the victory that they have. You can see that darkness trembles um, when Jesus comes near. Darkness is afraid of Jesus. You only have to read the Gospels to see the reaction of the demons when Jesus come near to, come near to him. They're, they're afraid. They tell him to, to go away. Darkness flees when we lift up the name of Jesus and we worship him and when we are in his presence. When we worship him, our enemies flee. When we worship, those who don't know God uh, know that they're in God's presence. When we worship, those who don't know God know that they're in God's presence. He becomes real to them. I'll never forget um, Joel's dad uh, before he had become a Christian. He, he, you know, the, the pub was his community. That was his people. And so I remember thinking our church at the time, it was very like um, seeker friendly, they would say. So we thought it was a great compliment if you could come into the church and be like, what is this place? I don't know if it's a church or not. And so I thought, well, this is going to be the church, if any, that he would be able to walk in and experience God in because it won't be so weird to him. And he came and he, he was like, yeah, it was nice. And then we went to, um, one time in Australia, we went to this church and it was this extremely Pentecostal church. And, and, you know, for someone who didn't go to church, what they were doing could have been really weird to them. And I thought, oh gosh, this is going to be too much. And when I talked to him afterwards, he said, yeah, but you, God was there. He said, I could really feel it. And it's amazing when you have an environment of worship, when, when we come together and we worship God, which is why we gather in the first place, it's like those who don't know God know that they're in His presence because we bring His presence to them. All the time when people visit Curate and we talk to them afterwards, they'll say, there was this vibe or there was this energy. What they're actually experiencing is God's presence. And so when we're talking about making room for one more, I think a worshipful church is a huge part of those one mores finding home in God because they come and they experience his presence. When we worship, those who don't know God know that they're in God's presence. So to summarize, why do we worship? We worship because he's worthy. We worship because he created us for his glory. And when we bring him glory, it's the reason for our existence. And when we worship him, we bring him glory. 
How should we worship? We worship with thanksgiving. We bring him thanks with thankfulness towards him, a thankful heart for all that he is and all that he's done. We worship with a conscious adoration. These aren't just songs. It's not just, yeah, I love God and I'm singing, but when I'm singing, when I'm praising, when I'm worshiping, I'm conscious of my adoration for God. And what happens when we worship? We draw near to God and God draws near to us and He ministers to us in that space. When we worship, we join in with heaven. Heaven is worshiping. It really is on earth as it is in heaven when we worship. When we worship, our enemies flee. Darkness hates the name of Jesus and can't stand to be in his presence. And when we worship, God's presence becomes known to those who don't know him yet. You know, ten and a half years ago, Joel and I, we were sitting in our lounge room. We had put the kids to bed and we weren't yet pastors and we were just sitting there. We were youth pastors and we were talking about the people in our care and we were just talking about the church and the people. We weren't praying, we weren't worshipping. And then all of a sudden, it was God's presence just entered our lounge room. And I was pinned to the couch. I couldn't lift my head. I couldn't even lift a finger under the weight of his glory, under the weight of his presence. My tongue and my whole mouth was tingling. So was um, my heart. My, my whole inner being was tingling and, and uh, tears were leaking from my eyes. And I couldn't see Joel because my head was pinned down. And I said, are you feeling this too? And he said, yes. And he said, are you feeling this? And I was like, yes. And his presence was just in our lounge room. And then as it came, it then went and we were speechless. We're, we're, we, couldn't, we didn't know what had just happened, had never experienced anything like that before. His power was so heavy and so thick and so incredible. And you know, if, if Jesus was to walk into the room where you are right now, I tell you what, you would not be able to be casual. There would be no chance of your heart being distracted or indifferent from him. There would be no way of denying his power. Most likely you would fall to your knees, you would cover your face, you might even share the same words that Peter shared when Jesus first came to him and called him. And you might say, just go from me, Lord, I I'm sinful. And if you were to lift your head and to look into his eyes, you would see a love so unfathomable. But he may not be in your room in that manifest way, but I tell you what, he's on the throne and his spirit is within you and he is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of our undivided attention. He is worthy of our heart's adoration. He is worthy of our thankfulness and our praise and our passion. He is worthy of our worship.